Welcome to the NLCC Lancaster Podcast. In this episode, missionary Jeff Mallory delivers a message entitled, What If? We hope and pray this message blesses your life. For more information about our church and other resources, visit us at nlcclancaster.com. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. It's a familiar passage. This was after a trial of the faith of the disciples. They failed. They tried to enter into the supernatural and were not able to do what Jesus did. And so Jesus scolded them. And then he explained why they weren't able to see the supernatural in their own life. And he said, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, it's a very particular mountain, this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now if it's that easy to achieve the impossible, we ought to really want that. Amen. What if nothing were impossible to you. What would you do? Amen. So I'm just going to preach my testimony. What if? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're here. God, I know why we're here. We're here that somebody can see their faith restored. God, I know that you're going to move. You're going to show up. You're going to perform miracles in this house. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Nobody was born with doubt. there's, There's no child that was born with doubt. Romans uh, got a letter from Paul, the apostle, and in that letter he said, God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so it's... It's just part of being born. Doubt does not come when we're born. It is a byproduct of living our lives. Before you had any knowledge, you had faith. Which is why some people say faith is for the ignorant, and they don't mean that as a compliment. And to that I say that faith is definitely easier when you're ignorant because when you live and learn and begin to develop beliefs about what is or is not possible, you begin to have doubt. But the strongest faith is not for the ignorant. The strongest faith is reserved for those who have lived, who have learned, they don't bury their heads in the sand, but they, they still have faith. Um, we didn't have much experience with sickness because we were still young, um, but my wife's father was hanging up his trousers after church on a Sunday morning, getting ready to have Sunday afternoon dinner at home, and the bone in his arm broke when he literally hung up his, his trousers and it, it was diagnosed as multiple myeloma cancer and there was a tumor in the bone 
And we learned a lot about that disease after that. We did what everybody does. We prayed, we fasted, we cried, we pled with God. We told God all the reasons he should live. This is a man of God. This man is important to God, important to the kingdom of God. He's always been the pastor's friend. The doctor gave him six months to live, but four and a half years later, my wife was helping him to his his bed when he stopped, and he pointed to the bed that had been in his room for a while, the one that hospice had put there that he had refused, refused to get into, and he told Brenda, it's time to get in that bed, and a few hours later, he was gone, leaving us with questions, questions, questions. Is God fair? Why is God silent? Where are you, Lord? Where are you when life hurts? And admittedly, we were a lot happier when we were ignorant. Knowledge didn't make things easier. Knowledge just complicated things. And the byproduct of knowledge was doubt. And a lot of people just leave it there. That's as far as they go with God. That's as far as their walk with God can go. And we indeed had family members who just couldn't get past those experiences. And they faced, with, they faced the apparent contradictions. Uh, what they see in the world doesn't seem to line up with what they think the Bible says. And so they're just done. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm out. And... They'll tell you, my faith died, and that's it. And so I watched my wife struggle with this. And we lived our lives, and then mom called one day, and she said, just got back from the doctor, honey, and I'm sorry to tell you that the doctor said I have cancer. Having past knowledge of that disease did not make praying any easier. I watched my wife again wrestle with all of this, and it was a fight. If you're going to have faith, you're going to have to fight for faith. But it's the good fight. Somebody say amen. Now, my, my, mom, my mother-in-law was given two and a half years, but in spite of all that we did, she was gone in six months. And I witnessed this through the eyes of my wife. And it was as though she was in her own Garden of Eden, so to speak, where it was being repeated all over again, and it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told Adam to tend and manage and keep the garden. It's all your responsibility. He said, in fact, you can eat of every tree of the garden, but not of this one. And I was always puzzled with that. Was God saying that they should go through life not knowing the difference between good and evil? I don't believe that's what God was saying at all because they knew about it. And in fact, that tree was also their responsibility. It was in the center of the garden. The knowledge of good and evil is still central to life. It's unavoidable. 
What he was telling them was that when the fruit of that particular tree falls to the ground, don't internalize it. You can manage it. You can see it. You can look at it. You can even handle it. But don't internalize it because only God can digest the knowledge of good and evil. Only God can process truly the good and evil. When the fruit falls to the ground, they would maintain, they would sweep up, they would clean, they would get that fruit, and they would say, this fruit is not for me, this is for God, and give it to them, him, knowing that if we eat of it, it'll sit in our stomachs, it won't digest, because our system is not made to process this, only God. And so there is good and evil, but here, God, when it comes to trying to internalize the knowledge of, of good and evil, I'm just going to give it to you. And of course, we know that because Eve disobeyed, it was that sin that cost us paradise. But for the rest of, it, rest of us, it often comes down to when we struggle with the knowledge of good and evil. And when you internalize those questions and, and you don't know how to hand that fruit back to God and say, God, this is for you, that you have a hard time making it. Jesus said faith is like a seed. And we know that seed is is used in two ways, and both ways cause the seed to die. One way that seed is used, if you harvest wheat, you, you can use the seed to grind it up, and it becomes flour, which you make bread and different things. And if you go that route, it's useful, but that's all it will ever be. But the other way that we use seed is we go to good ground, and we plant the, the seed, and both ways end with the destruction of the seed, but only one of these produced another generation of seeds. And faith is like a seed. I watched as my wife's faith died, and it was innocent faith. To every man's been given the measure of faith. It's a gift from God. It's, it's a low-grade faith, if you will, but it's kind of like a housewarming gift for you that you can get started with life. At least you've got some hope here and, and see how you can, you can live. But you see, I watched my wife begin to handle uh, the days that would come with the questions, the dark nights, and, and she would ask eloquent questions, questions wrapped in pain and even express disappointment with God. Disappointment with God meant that, Lord, you didn't do what I expected that you would do. I thought that if I did this, that you would do this. But at that end, at the end of that season where that faith was not strong enough for what she was facing, that seed actually had to be buried and it died. But if you stay with the process, that faith becomes greater because it produces another generation. We know that one seed, when it's planted, becomes a thousand or, or even more. 
And so we watched as her prayers at first were complaining, they were storming even, they were questioning, but, but it, it, it began to be a relationship because if you stay with the process, you find hope and not despair. Can somebody say amen? The easy thing is to judge God and then just go on without him. That's the easy thing. But the brave thing to do is not the easy thing. The brave thing to do is, is to curl up with your Bible on the couch and, and hold a book that seems to have contradictions for you. But you begin to realize, wait, maybe I am just not seeing the whole picture. Maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe what I know about the Word of God was just a few little scriptures or a bumper sticker slogan that said something like, I'm stu- too too blessed to be stressed. And and while that's true in one way, it's not true all the time because I've been stressed a lot in my life. And as that process began, I watched that God began to talk to her and speak to her, and she began to know him in a new way. God brought books to her, such as Turn My Morning Into Dancing, and she devoured that book and understood that book, and compassion got in her heart where she now could minister to other people that she never could minister before. And then God began sending red birds to her. I won't get into it, and it's not some weird philosophy or theology that I've got here, but we began to realize that God winks at you, that God may not give you a billboard or handwritten message in the sky, but there's always little messages that God's sending to you that says, I see you, kid. I'm with you. Uh, you're not alone in this. And if you just stay with it, we've, we've seen all of those things. Now, I'm logical. I love science. I've been called a nerd most of my life, and I'm actually proud of it now. But my faith had to overcome all of this stuff. I went to college, and I had a philosophy class. My professor had a PhD in theology from Notre Dame University, and he was an avowed atheist. I wondered why he went through theology if he was an atheist, but that's what he wanted to do, and he was a master debater. He would literally tell us, he said, I'm going to make you believe a lie because I'm such a good debater. I'm so good with my words that when I get done, I'm telling you right now, it's a lie, but when I'm done, you're all going to believe it. And at the end, his powers of persuasion were so great, he would confuse the whole class just to show you that I can, he would say. And his mission in life was to make more atheists. And so the seeds of my faith were sown time and time again. The trying of my faith was put into the crucible. It was passed through the fire. But every time, each time it didn't truly die, it reproduced another generation of faith. That's why I'm here today and I'm not out there somewhere saying I'm not going to follow God because this process will lead you closer to God. It will give you more hope. Amen. Is everybody okay? I think at the end of the day, I didn't keep things in my mind or in my heart, but there was a time that I got done processing what I could process, and I had a realization, I can't know some of this stuff. 
It must be for God to decide. So you go through a process of humility, of submission with what you know, and you're willing to give it to God and say, I don't know the answers. And maybe you're not even going to tell me the answers right now, but I trust you. I trust you. And then one day, it was a Saturday morning, we woke up, and my wife pointed at my neck and with alarm, and she said, Jeff, what is that? No idea what she's talking about, because it wasn't there last night. I felt of it, and it was the size of a goose egg, and it was hard. And I, what is that? We went to the doctor. The doctor said, good news, it can't be cancer. We all know cancer doesn't grow overnight. But he was wrong. The biopsy said it was cancer called mantle cell lymphoma. He called me and said, I regret to inform you, this is not one of the so-called good lymphomas. We have not cured this one. We think it's terminal. It's incurable. Jesus said, because of your unbelief, the reason you can't see what he has for you is because there is a mountain of doubt. That's what the mountain is. It's a mountain of doubt that keeps you from seeing more. As you live, you learn. As you learn, doubt piles up. And if you're not good at kind of maintaining the doubt, you can end up with a mountain so big you can't see Jesus anymore. And we know this happens even to good people because the very man that Jesus himself said was the greatest man ever born to woman was John the Baptist who introduced Jesus to the world. He, he was the one who baptized Jesus Christ in the Jordan River. This is the one, he said. Follow him. Don't follow me. But you see, John ended up in prison and the circumstance that surrounded his life began to teach him, I can't get out of here by myself. And you know John, being a spiritual man, prayed. You know that he petitioned heaven, would you please get me out of this, this prison? Don't let the bad people win. And he got to the point where he was in that circumstance for so long that he finally got his few disciples to come and he said, I have a job for you to do. Go find Jesus. I have a message for him. Go ask him, are you the one or should we look for another? And the disciples went to Jesus. And Jesus knew his circumstance. Jesus could have easily just broken him out of jail with a word. But Jesus sent back a response. He didn't change his circumstance. What he did was, he said, go tell John, I heal the sick, the dead are brought to life, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the demons, they are cast out. Go tell John, he was telling him, go tell him I'm still who he thought I was. But he couldn't see that anymore because of doubt, because of life, because of knowledge, because of experience. There had been a mountain pile up. And I believe that when, when John got that word, that John did exactly what Jesus said, speak 
to that mountain. Because if you have a mountain of doubt in your life, it is not God's responsibility to move it. It is not Pastor Keller's responsibility. You can't come to him and say, you've got to get up in my mind and remove the doubt. That is your job. You've got to speak to that mountain. And I believe what Jesus was doing to John, he was telling him, here's a shovel. You need to start digging at that mountain of doubt that is blocking your view. I'm still who I said I was. I know I'm in prison, but he's still God. I know I can't get out of my circumstance, but he's still the the God of all things. My viewpoint or my perception or my reality does not define God. And so the people who have faith in this world, Jesus said, when I return, am I going to find faith? The people who end up having faith in this world are not the ones who have easy street. They're not the ones who things just come to them whenever they pray, it just happens. No, they're not, that's not who is going to have the faith. The ones who have the faith are the ones who maintain. I got some doubt piling up. Paul said, I die daily. In other words, at the end of the day, I need to do some maintenance in my life. I need to remember that he is still who he said he was. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is the substance. I never knew that faith had substance. I thought faith just was faith, but faith is made of something. Faith is the sub, now, now faith is the, hope is the, sorry. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The substance of faith is hope. And so the doctor said, you have cancer. We were pastoring on the island of Maui in Hawaii, and the doctor said, just get off this island as fast as you can. Go find somebody that knows something about this disease. It's a very rare disease. It's aggressive. They did a scan. Tumors were everywhere. My bone marrow was 70% cancer. There were tumors in my intestines, on my liver. My spleen was twice its size with with cancer. And so we left there. We ended up at Washington, D.C. The National Institutes of Health was conducting a clinical trial. It was the National Cancer Institute. The lymphoma team, Dr. Wyndham Wilson, the number one lymphoma doctor on earth, invited us into a clinical trial. He said, if you sign on the dotted line, we're going to do everything science can do. We will spare no expense. Everything will be free to you because it's a study. Our government will pay for it. We're trying to figure out how to defeat this type of cancer and other blood cancers. But at the end of this process, we just want to be honest with you. We haven't found a cure So you'll probably benefit science more than will benefit you. And I signed on the dotted line. And we ended up living almost two years of our life away from home. I was in a hospital nine months at one stretch. Went home three nights in nine months. Three surgeries, years of chemotherapy, bone marrow transplant. Everything they could do, they threw at that disease. And while they were doing that, while they were fighting the disease, I was fighting for my faith. Because the most important fight that you can ever have in your life, it's not your health. 
It's not your wealth. It's not your relationships. It's your faith. And I said, I'm going to go through this process with faith. While they study it and they're scientists and I got to hang out with scientists because they did all their research in that uh, National Institutes of Health, I would fight for my faith. I would read the word of God. I got into the story of Job. Job said the things I was thinking. And you know what began to happen? A surprising thing began to happen. I started knowing God. I started getting closer to God. I started finding my priorities being rearranged. My value system changed. I would open the word of God and realities and and, and revelations would just jump off of the page to me. It was the most rich time of my entire life. My son, he came visit and he he, he looked at me for just a moment and saw the condition. I'd lost 70 pounds and, and, and I had no immune system anymore. And during the third cycle of chemotherapy, they had to open me up because my colon ruptured during chemotherapy and they had to cut 30 inches of my intestine out and give me an ostomy and I looked terrible. And the doctors were saying it's not going to be very long. And my son shows up and he gives me a hug. He hadn't seen me since the beginning of that, all that, that testing. And, and, and then I looked around. Where is he? Well, he was outside crying. And he was asking questions. God, why is this happening to my dad? He's a preacher. He just wants to do your work. And he's sitting here suffering. You could easily heal him. Why don't you? And he started asking me these questions. And it was like, it was so obvious. We were coming from two different worlds. Because the questions he was asking didn't even matter to me anymore. And I would try to tell him, but I'm doing great. Look what I found in the word of God. I was just in prayer and this came to me. And I would begin to tell him of the rich spiritual experiences I was having. But because he wasn't there yet, he couldn't see it. While we were going through that process, I kept getting a a call from a place in the Philippines. They said, you have to come. And I was like, man, I'd like to, but I'm kind of tied up right now. They kept contacting us, and so I prayed. I I, I said, Lord, if you let me get out of this, I want to go to that place. We found out later the reason I'd never been there was because it was a place where their only industry is kidnapping for ransom. And if you're an American, the going rate for kidnapping is $6 million. If you can't pay it, they cut your head off and post it on YouTube. And I'm like, that jogs my memory now. That's why we haven't been there. But it was during that process when the doctors were giving us no hope and my wife literally said goodbye to me two different occasions and I said goodbye to her. When I realized that I've got to do something. You get into these dark places and what happens to you is you shut down and your mouth becomes quiet. But that's not the right response. I know it's not natural. I know our flesh doesn't want it. But you control your flesh. Your flesh don't control you. And I told her, I said, Brenda, you and me, we've got to have a meeting. We have to talk. I knew I had to say something. I just didn't know what. 
And so we met. She was like, why don't we just talk? And I said, no, it's not casual. It's not just, hey, well, let's just talk because she's always with me. I said, we need to create a moment because I need to have a landmark in my life that on this spot, on this day, I said this. And when we stood looking at one another, the only thing that would come to me was, what if the doctors are wrong? What if the best is yet to come? What if there's more for us? What if we're going to get out of this hospital? I just began saying things like that, and I just began giving hope to the situation. Do you know that everything in our world changed when we began down that path? What if? Somebody asked yourself, what if the best is yet to come? I don't know what you're facing in your life, but I'll guarantee you the devil's convinced you it's over. But what if it's not? What if today you're going to have a miracle? You might have been praying for years and, and you, never, you never had that prayer answered. But what if today it, it is? And people live their life with fear and they go through life going, what if I lose my job? The economy's crazy. What if you don't? What if you're blessed? What if you get a promotion? What if you get a raise? You see, there's two different ways you can look at the future. It's negative or positive. And he's our papa. And I told Brenda, if I don't have to die in this hospital, I'm, I'm going to live different when we get out. I'm not going to let fear stop us anymore from doing something that God has told us to do. If God opens the door, we're walking through it. That wasn't how I was in the past. I, I was timid. I, I was the kind of guy I didn't want to go up to talk to people. My wife should talk to anybody. She's teaching me. We saw Terry Bradshaw at Costco in Maui. I knew who he was. She don't. Man, that's Terry Bradshaw over there. Who's that? I said, well, he's very famous. Really? She goes walking over to him. She says, are you who I think you were? Who do you think I am? You're Terry Bradshaw. Yes, I am. She said, well, then, Terry Bradshaw, why are you in Costco without shoes? <laughs> That's my wife. Man, I'm cowering in the back. I'm, oh, my Lord, what is she doing? But after this, I'm like, I've only got one life to live. Why do I want to waste my life on fear? I don't know how long I've got, but I'm not going to live another day in fear. And things began to change. I, I, I'm going to try to hurry it up here, but your circumstances, everybody wants our circumstance to change. But the most important change you can have is a change in your mind. And you can do that without circumstances changing. You want to be grateful? You don't need circumstances to, to change or somebody to give you something for you to be grateful. Gratitude doesn't come to you. It comes from you. You want to have peace? You don't have to have circumstances to change to have peace. Do you know peace comes through surrender? And so everything began to change, except my health got worse. And the doctors finally said it's over. We've tried everything. 
You've been here over two years, and finally this cancer is to a place where we know it's not responding to any of our treatments. It's over. Now, when Dr. Wyndham Wilson tells you that, and he's Mr. Lymphoma, science has just about come to its end. Do you know what an expert is? An expert is a human that knows more than the rest of us know about a given subject. But even an expert doesn't know what an expert doesn't know. And that's what the supernatural is. It is something outside of our world, that there is more out there. And so he said, it's over. When he said it was over, I had some work to do. You're still God. Come on, somebody. He still heals the sick. I don't know what you're going through, but there's miracles happening all over the world. We're still in the age of, of miracles. I was sick, and I, w- I was sick with cancer, and the doctor said there's no hope, and I'm preaching sermons, and people are getting healed of cancer. We had a lady in Hodge, Louisiana, who had two cancers, a leukemia and a lymphoma at the same time. And God healed her. He's still God, no matter what's happening in your life. And so they said, it's over. You've got a tumor on your liver at the bile duct, and it's growing really fast. If it grows any more, the bile duct closes and the liver stops functioning. You have three to five days once that happens. So really, all you can... All you can count on is you've got three to five days. Now go home. Get your affairs in order. We've tried everything and everything has failed. All right. I got a mountain here I got to take care of. If I leave that, I can't see him, so I need a... You see how much your will is involved in faith? It's your choice. Belief is a choice. And so we left the NIH, the hospital there in Bethesda, and I didn't want to go home. I wanted to go to church. Now, I'm logical. My logic was saying, you've been to church. Is it okay if we're real here? Can I just tell you what people think? Because if we don't get where they live, you can't reach them. People say, man, I've tried that. That didn't work. I thought that too. They all anointed me with oil. Everybody's been praying for me for years. And now the doctors give up on me. You know what I said to all that logic? I said, I'm going to go one more time. I'm going to church one more time. I'm going to let him pray for me one more time. Too many people build a theology around what hasn't happened yet. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. What if today is the day? And so we went down to Columbia, Mississippi, to Woodlawn Church. We'd been on staff there for years and seen many miracles. I just want to get around some people who believed Some people with some faith. Pastor Keller, it was a Saturday that we arrived. Sunday was the first day of a revival. 
And it's a big church. They let me sit on the platform. Kind of like make a wish. You want to you sit here? And I, and I remember going through that fight, that whole fight. Nothing in me wanted to praise God. Well, my body didn't. But something in me did. Because though I was weak and I had 62 staples, they'd open me up and they'd try to put me back together again. And I was weak. Maybe you can't run the aisles, but you can still do this. And I did that. And you know what happens when you begin to praise him? You get strength to praise him some more. If you'll just get the ball rolling, praise will take over. And I began to do this. And I was in so much pain, and I was so defeated in the knowledge that I had just received. But when I began to praise him, fear lifted, peace came. Amen. Y'all so quiet. Spoiler alert. I think you know the end of the story. Does he die? I mean, that's how you're looking at me. Tell, tell the rest of the story. Do, do you die? <laughs> no. And so I began to praise him, and I had been so weak, they had to help me up on the platform. I didn't have an immune system, a whole bit. I ended up down in the, the altar, walking around. Do you know I didn't ask God for anything? I'd already done that. And, and, and you need a miracle, ask him for it. Nothing wrong with that. But I think sometimes we only stay in that mode of prayer. That all we do is when we come to him, we come to him with a laundry list or a to-do list. God, do this, this, and this. And we don't spend enough time just seeking him. I just want to get into your presence. Can I just feel you? I'm not asking for a, a miracle right now. I've already done that. I'm not asking for, for a blessing. I've already done that. But what I'm doing right now is I just need you. And I remember feeling the pressure of his presence come around me. It was like wings. I think that's why the Bible talks about the wings of God so many times. Is because it felt soft, but there was pressure. And I knew it was Jesus. And I began saying out loud while I was walking, I have no idea what everybody else was doing, but I was just saying, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. I didn't have a worry in the world. I had perfect peace. I had joy. And that's when it happened. Something hot hit me at the top of my head, and it burned all the way through my body. I had never experienced anything like that, but I'd been around church long enough to know what that meant. And I went over to my wife and I said, Brenda, Jesus just touched me. Jesus just touched me. I went to Pastor Carney. I said, Pastor Carney, I'm going to have a testimony one day. I want you to know that Jesus just touched me. 
We left there, went back to Maui to the oncologist there that I had never seen because we'd always been in that clinical study on the other side of the world. And I brought him the medical records. And I said, Doctor, this is the medical records from the National Cancer Institute, the lymphoma team. And I know what it says. This is all the scans, the discs, the PET scans, everything. And he reached for it. And we had a little tug of war for a moment because I wasn't ready to give it to him. I needed to say one more thing. And I said, Doctor, before you take this stuff, I know what's in here because I lived this. I said, but there's something that's not in here. I was just at a church, and I got in the presence of God, and Jesus touched me. Jesus touched me. Too many times we don't see our miracle because we get hung up on something in the past. When we look back now, we realize that God probably saved her dad from some things that were about to happen that he may not have survived. And so it was the grace of God to take him out early. He's in heaven right now because of that. And then we're praying for mom. We don't want mom to go, but you know what mom was praying Mom was praying, I want to go. And so God's got these conflicting prayers. He's like, which one do you want me to answer? Well, hers. She's the one, you know. And if you're not careful, you get all hung up, God, what you didn't do back then. And God's like, I've got my reasons. Would you just release that and let me be God now? And so that doctor, I found out he was an atheist. And he said, Jesus touched you. That's nice. (laughs) He said, we're going to scan you and test you ourselves. They did a bone marrow biopsy and a PET scan. And he called me back in. I I was excited to see. I wanted to see the results. And he showed them to me. And he said, this is the image from the NIH and all the blue. And I'd never seen it before. I never wanted to see the tumors. But I saw him that day, and there was blue everywhere. He said, you have a bulky disease. He said, there is tumors everywhere in your body, from your neck to your, your, um, your pelvis, your bone marrow, 70% cancer. So I looked at it, all the blue. I said, wow, that's a lot of tumors. He said, yeah, it's a lot of tumor. He said, now let me show you the one we just took. And he didn't say it, but his attitude was like, after Jesus touched you. And he flipped the page to another image, and it was the same tumors. Nothing had changed. And he said that. Nothing had changed. I said, well, Doc, I don't know what that, no- what that means. All I know is Jesus touched me. Amen. Y'all quiet now. Do you have durable faith? Do you have faith that can look in the face of lying evidence and say, let, let God be true and every man a liar? Amen. I'm not trying to stand up here and act like I was a titan of faith. I had to do a lot of this. He said, so, he said, the NIH, the Cancer Institute's tried everything. He said, you're relatively healthy, except you're going to die of cancer. So you've been paying insurance for all these years, and we've never treated you. So we got to try something. So he put me in the chemo room and gave me something from 1948 called bendamustine, developed behind the Iron Curtain in East Germany. And he said, let's just try. And so they plugged that in and put that 
bag of chemo up on the, the hook and it started dripping through me and Brenda's sitting beside me reading a magazine when I felt the same sensation all over again. Same thing. Top of my head began burning and then it went down. And while I'm sitting in there, I'm going, Woo, thank you, Jesus. I don't say anything, though. And Brenda's reading the magazine. She looks up and she does a double take. Jeff, what's happening to you right now? I said, why? She said, you are turning bright red. So they ran and they got the, she ran and got the nurse. Nurse ran in. Oh, no, he's having a reaction. This is terrible. So she turned off the pump and, and, and the reaction just kept going. The doctor come running in. Oh, no, this is terrible. This is a horrible reaction. And I was going, whoop, whoop. You should take this more seriously. This is serious. This kind of stuff kills people. I said, doctor, I told you. I felt this before. I'm not afraid of this. This God let me know. He's still here. He's still with me. They said, no, this is a bad reaction. We got to stop this. We can't give you this anymore. I said, well, you should have thought that before you gave me mustard gas. Anyway, they sent me home after they did everything to try to reverse the reaction. The red went away. But you know what? I got on the scale, Brother, Brother Keller, I got on the scale in the bathroom and I weighed myself. I was 20 pounds lighter than I was that morning. I called the medical uh, the clinic and I said, tell the doctor that I'm 20 pounds lighter than I was this morning. That's impossible. I would just tell him anyway. Three days later, I come into that clinic. The doctor said, something notable happened to you. We have to restage you. I can't keep giving you this stuff unless I know what's going on with you. So they did another PET scan, and he called me in. And this time, he was a little bit different. He said, science has no explanation for what I'm about to show you. He said, I've been an oncologist 38 years, and I keep up on all the journals. And he showed him, he said, this is, the, this is the image we took when you just came to us, and then this is the most recent one we took three days ago. And there was no blue. I said, Doc, there's no blue. He said, yeah, every tumor's gone. <laughs> every tumor is gone. Amen. He said, this is mass cell destruction on a scale I've never heard or read about. He said, but it's always going to be in your bones. They did a bone marrow biopsy. He called me on the phone. Mr. Mallory, I don't know what's going on with you, but we did a flow cytometry test out of two billion cells. There wasn't a single cancer cell in anywhere in your bone marrow. Every year, they bring me back to the National Cancer Institute. I'm going in July or August, and they do the million-dollar checkup because all these scientists are going, where did it go? We get excited about miracles, and we should, because God still does it. God's going to do some today. But I want you to know, 
from a perspective, kind of from, from an extreme side of life, that the biggest thing that you want is you want faith. That's, that's what we want is faith. If, if you go out with faith, you win. It don't matter the circumstances of your life. You win. Somebody say, I win. Let's all stand. I wonder if there's somebody in this house that while I've been speaking, you've been thinking of your situation. And, and the first people that I'm going to talk to are the ones who have kind of learned to live with a new normal. You've had this situation in your life for so long. There's been a pain. There's been an issue. There's been like a cloud hanging over you for so long that you no longer pray for it. You think, well, this is just, this is just my life. I, I'm talking to you right now. God is still who he said he was. The woman had an issue for 13 years. She'd spent everything she had in search of a cure, but just one touch. And then the next people I want to talk to is you've got something that somebody has told you is impossible. If you say to that mountain, be thou removed, shall remove, and then nothing shall be impossible to you. Amen. I wonder if somebody would just come down. Brother Keller in the office, he said, faith without works is dead. You've got, you've got the seed of faith. Sometimes you just need to sow it. This is a good place to sow, sow a seed of faith. Come on, bring that impossible thing down here. Bring, bring that thing that's been in your life for so long that right now it's coming to you and you're going, man, I haven't thought about praying for that in a long time. It's time to pray for that. It's time for a couple to be expecting a child nine months from now. Amen. He still is who he said he was. There's some more that need to come down. Come on, let's just spend let's spend a little little time. It, sometimes it takes a little bit to walk in this. Maybe there's a young person here. You've been going to college. You got to learn. You got to get knowledge. You can't live your life ignorant. But man, a good place to, to lose your faith is with an overload of knowledge because they'll give you knowledge but not understanding. You need to have faith. Amen. Now, now if anybody just has faith, maybe you don't have any need or issue, would you just come down? Let's just take just a moment. Come on, let's help these that are down here. Let's create an at attitude or an atmosphere of faith ministry team 
don't pray yet. I got something to say. And I'm done. I asked God. I said, God, if you would, just tell me why you healed me the way you did. And I wasn't talking about why I had to suffer so much. I was talking about why was it a two-step process? Why did I feel the sensation in church, but the tumors were still there, and I felt the same thing in the doctor's office, and the tumors were gone? Why was that? You know what God told me? He said, the first time I touched you, I healed you. The second time, I healed your body. Which is the most important miracle? God healed my faith. I'd been working at it so long. I just needed, like that man said, yes, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. I think God's here to restore some faith in somebody today. I really believe that's what this is all about for somebody. And when God gives you the next generation of faith in your life, it is stronger than the last. If you'll just surrender to what God's doing in this moment and just tell him, yes, Lord, I'm going to give you a chance. I believe you're going to have more power than you did. You're going to have more anointing than you ever did. And somebody, I might be talking to somebody that you haven't felt the anointing in many, many years, but you're about to step into a new level. Can we first pray for our unbelief? Can we first do what I believe John the Baptist did when he was in prison? I believe he went out a winner. Lord, help me. This is you. Nobody else can do this. Nobody else can do this. The the whole story of your life is going to be determined by what you do with your faith. Lord, heal my my faith. Can we just do that? You, You don't have to touch your head if you don't want to, but I like to because I know this is where the battle is. God, restore my faith. Lord, I've let doubt build up in my mind. God, I speak to that mountain of doubt right now. Be thou removed. Get out of my mind. Let me see Jesus for who he really is. Move that mountain, oh God. Because when mountains move, miracles happen. I speak faith into my being. I'm a man of faith. I'm a woman of faith. I choose to believe. There is one God. His name is Jesus. All power in heaven and earth is in the name of Jesus. I speak the name of Jesus. Jesus is here. Miracles are here. Emotional healing is here. A fresh start is here. New life is here. Lord, in Jesus' name. Oh, this is beautiful. This is the tender moment right here. God's doing something. 
Amen. I'm going to pray over you, and we're going to let God do what God does. But before I do, what if the best is yet to come? Can you say that to yourself? Even if you whisper it in the the privacy of your own mind, what if the best is yet to come? What if I'm about to walk out of this valley a new person? What if I'm about to get deliverance over that addiction or that bondage? What if everything in my life is about to turn around? What if I'm going to get a new anointing? Amen. I want people with faith to help me right now, but I'm going to pray and you pray with me. Hallelujah. Let's do it right now in Jesus' name. I speak against sickness and disease. I come against heart trouble, liver trouble. I come against kidney disease. I come against bone pain and joint pain. I come against skin trouble and skin issues. I come against diabetes and high blood pressure. I come against cancer. I speak against the spirit of cancer in Jesus' name. I bind cancer that's here and I bind cancer that is far in bodies of family members associated with this church. I speak against the cancer in Jesus' name and I bind it. I release faith in this house. I speak against emotional trouble. I speak against despair, panic attacks, anxiety, and a spirit of suicide. I come against depression in Jesus' name. And I release joy and peace into this house. And that concludes this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. And for those of you on iTunes, leave us a good rating. Thank you for listening to the NLCC Lancaster Podcast.